Um, I hear that you're in Indianapolis today. What brings you out there? Oh, well, it's the Indy 500 this weekend, so. Just that little tiny event. No, it's fantastic yeah. to see your continued passion for all that, but I understand that you're doing some work with good foods. It looks like a nice spread next to you. Thanks, yeah. Well, you know, what better way to enjoy the Indy 500 than with a plethora of snacks and dips to go with it, which is actually how I experienced it when I was a kid. I've told the story so many times because people asked me growing, you know, when I first got into IndyCar, you know, what my what my history was like of, of racing and did I watch the Indy 500? And of course I said, yes. And that normally the table would be filled with like chips and dip. And then, you know, we'd watch the Indy 500. So, um, so nothing goes better with the Indy 500 and with summertime and traveling and being outdoors than, than dips and snacks and, and good foods is honestly like my whole life is dedicated towards, um, you know, helping people become mm -hmm. more aware and more and create wellness within themselves. Um, so whether it's mindfulness or something physical through working out or whether it's the food that you eat, um, good foods fits into that. They, their ing ingredients are really, really clean, really simple. Um, they have plant-based dips too. So, um, so I, I don't partner with anybody that doesn't fit the brand of, of the way that I live my life. And then I just like to share it with people. So, um, good foods is incredible. You can get it at tons of grocery stores or on goodfoods.com. Do you have a top two or three when it comes to good foods products? Yes. Please, uh, and there are many, um, but I'd have to say my favorite is the Buffalo dip. It's incredible. And then I'd have to say probably, uh, the, uh, chunky guac is next or the regular guac, um, classic, um, really just love guacamole <laughs> and, sure. uh, like most people. And then I'd say the queso dip, their queso dip is plant-based and it's incredible. Well, speaking to you and your success, I love your backstory. You worked so hard to get to where you are today. And I think that the majority of people don't realize that there's so much more to you than the racing by that. I mean, mm you're always working on something. Whether or not we <laughs> see it publicly, you're always working on something. When you early on knew that you wanted to be a successful racer, did you know, hey, I'm gonna have to do media and interviews and <laughs> tie-ins and all that? Or was that something you learned later? No, I learned that later. I, I, I just, I had this sort of vision or belief deep within me that it was gonna work out and that I really just like, it was simple words. Like, it'll be a big deal. Like I just knew that if I got the opportunity and I could make it, like it would be cool and it would be a big deal. Um, and I had no idea what that meant um, other than that, other than that concept. And so of course that does include things like interviews, um, but also, and so opportunities. Like I talk to amazing, fascinating people. Um, I get to go crazy cool places. I get to do fun things. Um, you know, I get, reservations at restaurants when I want to eat there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of perks that come along with it. So, um, you know, some of the other things that come along with it, safety and um, criticism and things like that, of course, but um, so, so much good. And so, um, so I, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, I, I just focus on the good really. A lot of people kind of peak in high school. Uh, you peak after <laughs> high school age, to say the least. And you're you're so young to the point that I get the vibe that there's still so much that you want to do, so many projects and industries you haven't yeah. tried yet. Am I incorrect True. about that? No, that's great. I, I thanks for sharing that um, perspective or intuition you have. Some of it is based on 
you know, things that are going on. Like I have two different wines, Somnium and Danica Rose. I launched a candle company called Buoyant this year. Um, I have a podcast. I do speaking mm -hmm. engagements. I'm doing seven different races this year across the three top platforms of IndyCar, NASCAR, and Formula One. Um, so I, yeah, I do have a lot of things going on, but um, it's been interesting to hear how many people over time have told me that, you know, they can feel that there's something else big that I'm going to do, that there's more coming. And, um, you know, I got to say, I'm not sure exactly what that thing is yet, but I have that feeling too. And so, um, you know, I think that at the core of it though, it'll probably have to do with wellness and awareness. And so, you know, whether it's telling people what makes them more healthy or mm -hmm. through the podcast, sharing about, um, psychology and, um, uh, perspectives on the universe and the nature of our, our reality, um, or whether it's more recently sharing about having breast implants removed and how sick they were making me and creating awareness around something like that. Um, you know, there've been some really positive things, of course, that have come since my, since I retired a few years back. Um, and I'm going to keep going to keep going with it. But being a star athlete, there's no CBD line. I think you're the, the there you know, is. Yeah. Star. Beam. Yeah. Beam is an incredible CBD company yeah. um, that uh, I, you're reminding me, actually, I need to I need to ask for some more stuff today. I was at, I'm at my parents house in Indianapolis and um, I wanted some Beam Dream last night, which is a great product. And I was like, oh, there there wasn't any. So I need you reminded me I need to get some. Well, down to the last two questions here. Uh, I don't know what music you're into. What oh. is your go-to these days? Or what are some of your go-tos when you're being well in the gym, when you're okay. relaxing at home, et cetera? Okay. Okay. Well, um, you know, in the gym, I will listen to like, what are some stations I'll put on? I usually do use Pandora. Sometimes I use Spotify too. Like if I want to make a playlist, I use Spotify. So I'll start sort of putting them into a list. Um, like, uh, Morgan Wallen radio or Blake Shelton radio, or then I might listen to Cardi B radio or like, um, uh, Drake or Jay-Z or something like that old school rap. But then most of the time I listen to, um, Amos Lee, Gregory, Gregory Allen, Isaacoff, Nako, um, East Forest, like a yoga radio. So I usually listen to much more chill music or like cam radio or Miranda Lambert, like, you know, some country. Um, so yeah, I, I'm much more on the chill side of things, I would say. Sounds like a good song is a good song to you, no matter the genre of the artist. Cool. Right. And my last question, do you have a TV recommendation you could pass on? Because my wife and I, we start a new show, finish okay. it in four days, and we go, what's next? But hey, You're a Patrick, Patrick, you got taste. Uh, you know, a great show. I'm currently watching Westworld. I'm two seasons in. Um, it's deep. It's interesting. It takes a bit of attention. But I'd say like a really fun one that I watched a couple of years ago was um, The Good Place. Did you ever watch that? Oh, Kristen Bell. Did you watch it? Excellent show. That's a great one. I would love, love to re recommend that for people. Um, but man, what else? I mean, you're, you're tapping me. I'm, I'm not the, the best at, um, having like all kinds of series to watch. So, um, those are, those are my, you, you already, have, you've already tapped into mine. So maybe not the it. best with new series, but the best with food recommendations, the best with too many projects going on, whatever it is. <laughs> Looking forward to what's to come from you, Danica. Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. Uh, do we have another question <laughs> that's going to be set into our ear that we'll say back out loud? <laughs> Thanks for taking my question. My name is Darren. I'm from the Hype Magazine and the Paltrowcast. Wonderful class you two have presented here. Now, Joel, you asked Chef Esther 
what was her journey towards being a chef? Joel, what was mm. your journey, uh, journey towards becoming a foodie? My journey, uh, this is, uh, your name's Jeff? Uh, Darren. I'm not Jeff Winger. Darren. I'm Darren. <laughs> That's right. Oh, right. right. Wow. Darren, thank you for um, accommodating my really great short-term memory. Uh, well, I live in awe of someone like Esther because they actually, uh, she actually knows food and can actually make it. Uh, I'm, when I started making money in basic cable, I was like, I can finally now go to the restaurants I always wanted to go to. And I began doing that. And then, uh, ironic, I did all the cooking at home if I was home. Uh, and, um, I was, I loved doing it. So, uh, and now with, I have two boys, 17 and 14. Uh, so when I'm home, I usually do all the cooking and I just really enjoy it. I don't do any sort of foodie cooking, but I think food as art is something that, uh, you know, really has come alive in the last 20 years and 25 years in America. And, uh, so I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I mean, you smoke meat. That's like very intense. Like that's a it, pretty chefy thing. Yeah, I've screwed yeah. it up so <laughs> many times. Well, that's that's how you get better, right? Trial and error. Right, but yeah. if it's just all bad all the time, what should I oh, do? Um, maybe try something else. Okay. Well, maybe bowling or something. Uh, Darren, uh, you're part of what were you? What did you hype magazine? You said the hype magazine and the Paltrow cast. All right, how's the Paltrow cast turning? Is that just you and Gwyneth? <laughs> Distant relative, but hey, the bottom line is okay. I'm in the presence of greatness, and I can't thank you both uh, enough for bringing this great product, which I didn't know about previously, to my attention everyone else's okay. attention. Darren, thank you. Thank you. Uh, go get some Q mixers. I think you, we sent you some, so uh, thanks so much, and go grab some of these tacos if they ever get duplicated anywhere. Outrocast. Candace, besides having to talk to the media elite, how is your day going? Good, good. You know what? I've actually got a terrible cough. So uh, I have all supplies everywhere here of keeping it under wraps. Um, so it's, it's, it's behaved better than I expected. I thought we were going to have to write this off, but um, it's good. I'm having a good day. How are you going? I think I'm fine unless there's something I don't know. But the bottom line <laughs> is we're here to talk about you and how great you are. And this exactly. series was adapted from a novel of yours. Now, I'm curious about your writing process. Are you the kind of person that just sits down and says, I have to write 30 pages today? Or is it meticulously outlined in a way and you have to feel inspired? Uh, no, I don't wait for inspiration because I have a two-year-old. Uh, so whenever I can sneak away to get some time um, or, you know what, she's she's gone to daycare and I have this many hours and I need to do it. But I grew up as a writer like that. Um, my mom had four kids and then she adopted two and then she fostered 155 kids as I was growing up. So it was a busy household. It was crazy. And so if I wanted to go and indulge my passion, which is writing, it was like I get home from school, I get 20 minutes to do that before I have chores and, you know, kids and, 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 and all that kind of stuff that I had to do. And um, so, no, I'm very sporadic. I don't wait for inspiration. Uh, and I do a lot of writing in my own head while I'm multitasking and doing other stuff so that when I get a moment, I'm ready to go, you know? 
when or uh, how far back does writing go for you? Like, were you on the school newspaper? We didn't have a school newspaper. Uh, I should have been on it. Look, I was I was not a good school kid. Um, I I I. I basically got very good in English class because I hated my teacher. He was really pat, uh, patronizing and I thought, I'll show you, you know. Uh, and, and so I started really performing in that, in that class and falling in love with books and falling in love with literature. Um, and I was a real nerd and very unpopular and so I would hide out in the library from the mean girls and that kind of thing so it does go a ways back um I think my household was so chaotic and crazy that I was seeking an outlet that I could I could go right into these worlds and completely control everything that was happening in there from the weather to what people are wearing to what's going to happen it was a control exercise I think Wow. Were you a TV person all along? Yes. Yes. I, you know, books probably more so because they're so immersive and it's such a solitary activity, you know, watching TV in my household, you got to watch what everyone else is watching and everyone's talking all the way through it. And, sure. and, and, and that kind of thing, you know, I did have a TV in my room and I did have movies of my own uh, on VHS. I watched um, the Crow city of angels when I was 16, which has Thomas Jane in it as one of the villains. And mm -hmm. so for him to be cast in this all these years later, it's like a full circle moment for me. Um, it's like, I, I, they said, it's Thomas Jane. I said, I know that guy, uh, you know, so I was very, excited and just meeting him was just crazy every time he sends me a text i'm like ah! <laughs> i never get used to it ah it's thomas jane whoa did you know? you know that he was producing it and not just starring in the film in other words did he was he part of the courting process for adapting it from a book to a series no he uh he came on um sort of in the last year it was seven years uh, from it being bought to hitting screens. And um, the first people who picked it up, they optioned the novel before it was, I'd finished writing it, which was amazing to me uh, because I said to them, you don't even know how it ends. You don't even know if this guy's bad or not. And I didn't even know because I, I'm the kind of writer I tend to leave big twists towards the end because I don't see them coming. And I'm constantly writing and saying to myself, but what if this, but what if this, but what if this, you know? Um, so TJ and Renegade came in in that last year, but he fell in love with it so fast that I thought, yeah, you know, it changed his mind about doing series because I had heard that he didn't want to do any series anymore. They were, they were, you know, too long for him and too exhausting maybe. And so he, he, he sort of said, look, before he'd read it, he said, this is, you know, they're pitching this for a, a multiple seasons and eight episodes and no. And, and his partner, business partner, Courtney Lauren Penn said, you need to read this book. And he read it and went, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, last question before I let you go. Is In Excess the best Australian band of all time? 
really? Oh, wow. Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, ACDC is Australian. Oh, I mean, they're, they're better in excess. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm in dangerous waters here. Uh, what about Thirsty Merc? What about uh, Powderfinger? Powderfinger is Aussie. Um, yeah. Oh, John Butler Trio. And oh, Oil, man. I was going to say the living end is the best Australian band. Okay, all right. In excess, no for it's a no from me, but yeah, I'm very careful because people are passionate about that. <laughs> well, thank you for your time and feel better and looking forward to whatever is next for you. But congratulations on getting a book turned into a great series. Thank you. Thank you so much, Darren. Suzanne, did I read correctly that you started this in 2010? And it premiered first locally in Santa Monica in 2020. So it was that long in the making? Uh, it was that long. I mean, I wanted to do it like, no problem. I, this is a two-year project. Sure. <laughs> uh, but then I started to do the deep dive into the research as a journalist, as a journalist should. And uh, then I realized, and I actually blocked myself off from the whole world. I didn't want to read anything except for Almost Famous, my favorite film, one of my great Love, love that film. Uh, but I decided not to, so I wouldn't be subliminally affected in any way uh, on other people's, you know, writings and things. Then I took a deep breath and I uh, did the deep dive, interviewed a lot of these sources, the, the, the great sources. And uh, here comes Will. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Will. Um, so after I did the deep dive, um, it was rather a shock because every single interview I did was a revelation. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, then I realized that Ben Ben's story is actually it is out there from the the readers of the original Rolling Stone, but a lot of the dots to connect to his life and uh, to his Rolling Stone life um, uh, I felt were very much missing, so that became a mission of mine, and that's why it took so long. <laughs> yeah, you. I, you had a tremendous challenge in that you not only have Ben and all of his wisdom and you can interview him, but you have decades upon decades of footage. So you have the challenge of how do we fit all this in the same place? At the same time, how do we clear? How do we do all the clearances? Were there other challenges or were those the main two of how to be concise and how to clear everything? I think those were the main challenges, except for maybe... Um... Uh, finding a proper time to sit down with uh, Jan Winner and Cameron Crowe and a Annie Leibovitz. And fortunately, it all just came together. And then I wanted a, a, like a, you know, a, a grand closing and it just kind of fell in my lap right before the pandemic hit. So, well, <laughs> and that throwing was also, it to Ben you, here, you, were able to film yes, with you of Elton. course just, are great on camera and you have decades of being on camera with high profile people, but was there any hesitation for you being the focal point of a documentary when you were approached with the idea? Not, not a strong hesitation. Um, not sure I was worth a documentary. And um, I come from a culture that is pretty uh, private uh, about personal matters. And when I did my memoir, like the rolling, what was it called? Oh, the rice room. <laughs> the rice room. Memoirs, memoirs of an artifact. Right. I uh, approached my parents about my telling the family story and they were definitely wary about it. You know, they thought, oh no, 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 you don't want to be saying things about the family and yourself and 
skip letting it letting the world know. But with Suzanne and me, we we both felt like yeah, there, there's probably a story here if she digs hard enough. And uh, so I was okay because for years um, I had been in various other uh, music related documentaries or sixties mm -hmm. related. Uh, or people who died at age 27 related documentaries. And so I was a, a semi-professional talking head. And so I had no problems putting together sentences and facing a camera uh, or allowing a camera crew to follow me along to any number of and kinds of events. So that all was not a problem. Uh, it was really a matter of giving her enough material to justify um, whether it's a short or a full-length feature documentary. Uh, and she took it and ran with it and ran very well, considering the big dress she wears all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we see you in the film in archival footage and also modern interviews talking to Beatles and Steve Martin, the best of the best. But seeing it all cohesively in one documentary, were there things in there that you watched and went, I don't remember that happening. Oh yeah. Oh, about uh, 99 minutes worth, I think, of things I can't uh, <laughs> recall. Uh, no, I do remember, but I, Darren, there are, I, I have a list of pretty much all of my interview subjects over the years. And I sometimes go and say, what? I interviewed Larry King <laughs> when he passed away. You know, when anybody passes away, I, my phone rings. So usually when uh, I will then do a little research and uh, I found out that I had written about Larry in the Chronicle one time. I had met him to promote my book on Graham Parsons uh, at CNN. I think he was in Arlington, Virginia mm -hmm. at the CNN studios there. And then apparently a couple of years later, he was coming through town to promote something. And I went to his hotel room, sat down, interviewed him, wrote a long feature in the Chronicle, and then forgot it. So yes, there are a, a lot of uh, a lot of people out there that uh, I have forgotten. And she brought Suzanne and her her crew brought back some uh, pretty interesting moments for me because they also play snippets from those interviews from forty yeah. years ago or more. And so I can't. I can't remember those exchanges, but then she has the actual story laid out there and then Stevie Wonder is talking over it or Ray Charles is talking over it. And while they're talking, you can sort of yeah. see that I actually transcribed it pretty accurately. <laughs> pretty amazing. I have to say as a writer, my least favorite part of the process is the transcription, listening to yourself over and over and over again. Oh, I missed that word, rewind the tape. And yeah. You have decades of doing that agony-oriented task, but uh, you mentioned an interview or two in there. I want to selfishly, as somebody who's slowly writing a book about this gentleman, say that you did an incredible interview with David Lee Roth right before he went solo. In oh, I did. That's one. I don't remember that. Uh, but let's see now. Was it for um, Was it for the Chronicle or for GQ? Yes. It was, oh. I believe it was for the Chronicle and it opens up with you pulling up into his Pasadena mansion and remar remarking that it's like a high school and he <laughs> uses uh, a 
big vocabulary words that you're kind of taken back like, oh, he knows a lot of stuff. But an interesting thing about that is you got him a month and a half before it was out that he was leaving Van Halen. Uh-huh. I was curious if he had any recollections, but clearly not. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. In fact, if you can send me, um, I hope this is only audio for you, right? You're not, this is not as uh, a video cast, right? We can leave the video out. Yeah, let me shut this phone off. All these annoying messages from Suzanne here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel that um, that director subject love right there. Yes. Hey, um, let's see now. Uh, uh, um, David, I might have done him for a magazine and then spun it off into the Chronicle. It doesn't sound to me like the Chronicle, uh, with their gargantuan editorial budget, would send me down to LA to interview a rock star. So I have a feeling I did it for a column in GQ or another freelance thing. And then, I, and then I did a version of it for the Chronicle. I'm not sure, but if you send it to me, you'll joggle what's left in my memory. But um, it, it sounds like me to uh, d- uh, do some description of the scenery if in fact that sounds, seems like the best way to kick off a story. Are you still there? Still there, and I, I'll oh, throw this to, to Suzanne. Uh, how much great cutting room footage is there from this production? Oh my goodness, there's so much. Ugh. We did, uh, I did more than 120 shoots, film shoots, recording everything. Uh, as a journalist, you know, you have to cross-check sources and everything and get independent sources and cross-check everything. Um, yes, that, 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 that it, was, it, it was an enormous project. And somebody actually asked me recently, uh, actually this weekend, and I, I, I didn't really know how to answer, but you're talking 120 shoots, at least. I stopped counting at 120. Uh, and um, over 12 years, approximately. And if you think about it, if you just do like basic math, that's like one a month. Like if you do 10 shoots yeah. out of a year or 12 shoots, that's one a month for 12 years. So we probably did do that because we were 100% dedicated, very much so. And, and there were just uh, incredible amounts of archives and we hand transcribed everything. We wouldn't let it out to anybody else. So because they're so precious well as we address towards the top of the interview it started so long ago that although you're doing press now even though it had a premiere of sorts two years ago it's an old project to you in a way it's new to us it's an old project to you are you allowed to say what you're working on next suzanne yes uh, actually it, it just premiered last year 2021 and then the uh, the the uh, the Netflix version is actually copyrighted to 2022 because it just launched this month. Uh, and there's a little bit there's a little it's a little bit shorter and you know it's 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 you know I really like this version. Uh, yes, I want to do an educational version for the public school district to teach journalism and a lot of uh, what we have from Cameron Crow and Holly George Warren, who was uh, Ben's um, uh, research assistant back in the day. Uh, she now is one of the most prolific rock and roll writers of books in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, she's, you know, it, it, we feature her in the film. And then what we don't have in the current film is what they're saying about what they learned from Ben. Plus we have Ben's comments of what, how he approaches an interview. So I think that that's what we want to do. And then I have uh, been in, asked to do multi-part for a, like a television uh, series based on our documentary. So that's another one I'm, I'm thinking about, I don't know. 
Well, it's it's great to hear that this was such a rewarding experience for you that you want to continue. A lot of people, when they make an album with a producer, they've spent so much time with that producer that they go, never again. <laughs> that was enough. In this case, you clearly enjoy Ben as a subject, as a participant, and all that. Uh, ben, throwing that last question at you uh, with those compliments in mind, are you allowed to say what's next, who's next, what's coming up for you? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm looking at my GQ log right now. <laughs> <laughs> this David Lee Roth thing really uh, ate it. Yeah. I, and of course, this is also a mess of missed memories. Um, February 10th, 1985 Chronicle. So I'm looking at uh, 84 for David Lee Roth. Uh, it, w it came out in February 85, yes. And he announced yeah. that he was out of Van Halen April 1st, 1985. So you wow. had an exclusive of sorts. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll check it out. I, I will find it. But uh, thank you for shaking that memory. <laughs> Outrocast.